accurate blue-collar theology to shield the mind, body, and spirit. This is Full Armor Radio. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Full Armor Radio, where we seek to discuss accurate blue-collar theology to shield the mind, body, and spirit. I am your host, Brandon Lockridge. And, uh, you know, I thought it would be good to discuss uh, that opener. You know, in, in my opener for every episode, I have that tagline. It says, accurate blue-collar theology to shield the mind, body, and spirit. And I know that I have discussed it before in previous episodes, but it's been quite a while. So for any listener that is tuning in that maybe has not heard some of the older episodes, maybe they're curious, what does that mean? When I say blue-collar theology, well, it's just kind of a way of saying that here at Full Armor Radio, I seek to present theology in a way that is uh, understandable to the layman, because I am myself a layman. I am not some uh, high academic theologian uh, that can present things in a way that's very heady and high up there. Uh, I am, I'm a layperson, And so what I want to do here on Full Armor Radio is talk about theology in a way that is understandable for for everyone for 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 the the common man, so to speak. Um, there are wonderful scholarly academic theologians out there who can do a fantastic job of presenting things in a very high academic way, and that is necessary and that is good. Uh, but some of my favorite theologians are those who can take those high, weighty, heavy academic things and they can bring it down and present it in a way that is digestible to the layperson. And so uh, that's what I hope to do on Full Armor Radio in every single episode, because as I said, I myself am a layperson. And so, um, so when I say blue collar, blue collar theology. I'm not making a distinction really between blue collar theology versus white collar theology, because theology is theology. Really, it's blue collar in the way that it is presented. So there you go. That is the intention and purpose of Full Armor Radio. All right. So what are we doing today? We are back to the Belgic Confession. We are in Article 9. And last week, we were Article 8, and we talked about the Trinity. And this week, in Article 9, we are... It's it's interesting. So, this is actually a follow-up. Article 9 is a follow-up to Article 8 in the sense that we're still talking about the Trinity. The Trinity was presented, essentially, what is the Trinity uh that was presented in article eight, but in article nine, now it's essentially an entire article dedicated to uh, proof text. And the title of the article is the proof of the foregoing article, article eight of the Trinity of persons in one God. Okay. So it's proof text. We're going to be looking at some things in the old Testament and some things in the New Testament that 
um, Guy Debray, the writer of, uh, of the Belgian confession, uh, dedicates to this entire article. So, um, it's a long article. We're going to go through it just paragraph by paragraph and just sort of break it down and just look at essentially just looking at a lot of scripture today. So, um, it says, so let's go ahead and get into it. It says, um, all this we know as well. So when he's saying all this, he's referring, this would be referring to article eight, the things discussed in article eight. So if you have pause right here, if you have not, if you're listening to this episode and you have not listened to the previous episode on article eight of the Belgic confession, please pause this, go back and give that a listen. <clears throat> so, uh, he says all this, we know as well from the testimonies of Holy writ. When he says holy writ, he means the holy writings. So the holy scriptures uh, that are, you know, the unchallenged authority, essentially, of the holy scriptures. So all this we know as well from the from the testimonies of holy writ as from their operations and chiefly by those we feel in ourselves. So the the things that the scriptures testify to are actually things that happened, right? Uh, and then it, when it says chiefly by those we feel in ourselves, well, that's kind of the testimony of the Holy Spirit. So not only do we read about, uh, the, the, you know, the read the things in the scriptures, there's historical proof for the things that we read in the scriptures and the testimony of the Holy Spirit within us right is this the spirit is testifying to those things that, that they are true uh, then it continues and says the testimonies of the holy scriptures that teach us to believe this holy trinity are written in many places of the old testament which are not so necessary to enumerate so he's saying there's a lot of places we could look at as to choose them out with discretion and judgment okay so now he's going to get into it so uh, he starts by saying in Genesis one twenty six uh, and one twenty seven, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, etc. So let's go ahead and let's take a look at Genesis one twenty six and uh, and twenty seven and we'll just read it here. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish in the sea, uh, the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. So it says... In verse 26, it uses the plural, let us make man in our image, right? And then immediately in verse 27, so God created man in his own image, right? So the interchangeableness of those terms, right? The plural and the singular, let us uh, make man in our image and then he created man in his image. So it goes on in the confession to say, um, it, it used, so use this as a proof text. And then it moves forward to Genesis 3, 22. And it says, behold, the man has become 
as one of us. So he says, uh, I'm going to go down to Genesis 3.22 in my Bible here. Bear with me as I get to it. Genesis 3.22, I want to read the whole verse. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Uh, now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live uh, forever. Uh, so then the Lord sends him out from the garden in verse 32, or excuse me, 23, excuse me. Uh, so he's, uh, God is clearly saying the man has become like one of us again, back to the plural there when, as God is referring to himself again. So this is, this is the Godhead, right? When we go back and we look at article eight, it is, uh, the, the, the Godhead, the essence is God. Their essence is God in three persons, right? Three distinct persons. So it says, um, to continue on in the confession, behold, so quoting Genesis 3.22, behold, the man is become as one of us from this saying, let us make man in our image. It appears that there are more persons. So this is Gita Bray is making his case here. It appears that there are more persons than one in the Godhead. And when he says God created, he signifies the unity. So in other words, he's God has said, let us make man in our, in our image. So clearly a um, uh, tip of the hat to this Godhead, this triune God, that there are multiple persons in this Godhead. But then it says God singular created. And so the, the, uh, entire Godhead is present in creation and unified, uh, as one Godhead, right? So then it says, it is true that he does not say how many persons there are, right? Because it says, let us make God in our own image. The man has become as one of us. So there's, it's it's just indicating that there are multiple people, but it doesn't say how many persons. And so the confession acknowledges this and says it's true that he does not he doesn't say how many persons there are, but which appears to us some that which appears to us somewhat obscure in the Old Testament is very plain in the New. Okay, so now he's going to come into talking about. Uh, some proof texts in the New Testament where we see um, evidence of the triune Godhead. So he says, for when our Lord was baptized in the Jordan, the voice of the father was heard. We talked about this in the last episode. Okay. The voice of the father, and this is, this is coming out of Matthew chapter three in verse 16 and 17, but it says, um, the voice of the father was heard saying, this is my beloved son. The son was seen in the water and the Holy ghost appeared in the shape of a dove. This form is also instituted by Christ in the baptism of all believers. It says in, now this is in Matthew uh, 28 uh, verse 19, baptize all nations in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy ghost. Right? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, this is interesting. So, it says, <clears throat> notice it says, baptize all nations in the name. 
not in the names, plural, right? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Uh, I think that's an interesting point to note that sometimes we can read over and just kind of like, yeah, yeah, we know what it says. But think about that for a second, right? There's an intentional, it's, it's intentionally singular, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then the confession goes on to say, in the Gospel of Luke, the angel Gabriel uh, thus addressed Mary, the mother of our Lord, the, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you and the power. And actually, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it out of. So the um, reformers were using when they when they wrote scripture in their confessions, they were using uh, at the time they had the Texas Receptus, uh, Greek, that was the Greek New Testament that they were using. And so when you translate it into English, it's got kind of that King James, these and thous and all of that stuff. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just read it in a more modern language. So uh, please, all you Texas Receptus scholars out there, don't get, uh, don't get frustrated with me. Uh, Okay, so Luke chapter 1, and this is in verse 35. Uh, It says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit, okay, so we've got a person of the Godhead, right? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is God the Father. This is being referenced here. the, The Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Okay. That's obviously the son, right? So God, the father is the most high who overshadows Mary. God, the son is the one that Mary is giving birth to. And the Holy spirit is the one who comes upon Mary at the beginning of all this. So we have evidence of the three present there. So then we move on in the confession and it says, let me get back to it here. I've lost my place. Um, Okay. Then it says, uh, likewise, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy ghost uh, be with you. So this is a quotation out of second Corinthians and chapter 13. So, um, I, we're going to, we're doing more scripture reading in this episode than most episodes, but because that's what this entire article is focusing on, I feel that that's appropriate. So we're going to go to second Corinthians 13 and we are, did I miss? Oh, I did. I think I, I think I have the wrong scripture reference there. Oh, I do. It's it's the next verse. I had uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It's actually, for, uh, excuse me, sorry. 2 Corinthians 13, 13 is what I had. It's actually 2 Corinthians 13, 14, where it says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. That's uh, one person of the Godhead. And the love of God, God the Father, second person of the Godhead, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
be with you, right? So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So again, these three uh, being mentioned, uh, three distinct persons of the Godhead being mentioned in the uh, in Second Corinthians, and then it moves on to confession. Continues on saying, uh, in all which places we are fully taught that there are three persons in one only divine essence. So he's saying, okay, so all these places we're clearly taught that there's three persons, one divine essence. And although this doctrine far surpasses all human understanding, nevertheless, we now believe it by means of the word of God, but expect hereafter to enjoy the perfect knowledge and benefit thereof in heaven. So Debray is saying, listen, we don't quite understand. We can't wrap our heads around this um, doctrine of the Trinity. It far surpasses our human understanding, but we're going to enjoy, we believe it because the word says it and the word teaches it, but um, we are, we are going to fully, you know, have perfect knowledge and full understanding uh, on when, when we get to that day in glory, in heaven. Um, there's lots of other places that Bray doesn't even mention in here, uh, places that I think we could go and we can see where Jesus is uh, connecting himself to the Father. Uh, Matthew 10, I think it's verse 31, where it says, the Father and I are one. There's plenty, there's so many places that I'm just kind of thinking of, but um, places in, in Isaiah, I think we could go look at. But in the Psalms, but, uh, I think that there's, there's a lot to discuss there, but we probably don't need to overdo it. I think that we, you know, one important thing is that the, um, not only does scripture teach this, uh, we have the testimony of it, you know, the spirit testifies to us, uh, that this is true. We have the testimony of tradition. We, we talked about how we don't hang our hat solely upon tradition, but tradition is helpful and useful. When you look at the early church fathers, all the way through the history of the church, this has been believed. Uh, In fact, actually, we're going to keep going in the confession here because this is mentioned uh, a bit. So let's move forward. Uh, In the next paragraph, the confession says, moreover, we must observe the particular offices and operations of these three persons towards us. So we, we mentioned this a little bit, actually, uh, last episode. He says, the father is called our creator. Okay, so he's talking about the offices and the sort of, you know, the roles, the operations of each of these persons. So the father is called our creator by his power. The son is called our savior and redeemer by his blood. And the Holy ghost is our sanctifier by his dwelling in our hearts. And I mentioned that in the last episode, you know, the father being creator, the son being redeemer and the uh, Holy spirit being sanctifier. So Debray mentions those offices, those roles, those operations of each of the persons of the Godhead. And then he moves on and says, This doctrine of the Holy Trinity has always been defended and maintained by the true church. So now we're getting to what I was just mentioning, um, which is the tradition part, right? So we've got the the scriptures that testify to the truth of the Trinity. We've got the spirit within us that testifies that this is true, but also we do have the tradition of the church, which again, you know, I like that this is the last thing 
that Debray mentions in this article and not the first thing. He's not hanging his hat, as I just mentioned, on tradition, but he does bring it in there because it is useful and, and at least something to take note of that this doctrine of the Holy Trinity has always been defended and maintained by the true church since the time of the apostle, the apostles. To this very day, against the Jews, Mohammedans, would be the Islam, and some false Christians and heretics, such as Marcion, uh, Manes, uh, I'm going to butcher some of these names, uh, Praxius, uh, Sabellius, <laughs> Samosatinus, <laughs> Arius, and such the like. So these, everybody he just named off were people uh, in the early church who were operating under the umbrella of Christianity, but they they took positions on doctrines that were way outside of orthodoxy and the church eventually expelled them, you know, and cast them out as heretics because they were just outside of of the orthodox teaching of uh, orthodox Christian teaching. And so um Debray is mentioning these early uh, church fathers who were, again, uh, heretics and saying that they're under their fault. He calls them false Christians. And he says, uh, these who have been justly condemned by the Orthodox fathers, therefore, in this point, we do willingly receive the three creeds. And these are the big three that he names namely that of the apostles, the Nicene, and of Athanasius. So apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Athanasius' Creed. Um, he says, likewise, that which uh, conformable thereunto is agreed upon by the ancient fathers. So he's saying that these three creeds have all been agreed upon by uh, the Orthodox Church fathers. And the he's saying, we agree with you know, as the reformers agreed with those creeds. And, and that's true. We actually, I always tell people that the baseline, the baseline thing that every Christian, the baseline creeds that every Christian, because we say, well, you know, the Bible is all I need. Okay. Correct. The Bible is all you need, but people will take the Bible and they will interpret it in ways that they want to interpret it. it just like these, like Marcion, like Arius, like uh, Praxius, Sibelius, these, these gentlemen that are mentioned here in the, in the confession, they said that they held to the scriptures as well, but it was bad theology. They were misinterpreting the scriptures. And so the Orthodox Church Father, and this is really now I'm making a case for creeds and confessions and catechisms, but the early Church Fathers and then and then Orthodox Christians throughout the the ages, right, have pointed back to some of these early creeds, and they have said yes, we agree because it's baseline doctrine, core doctrine. So when you, I always tell people if 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 you can look back there's there's all kinds of ancillary things that sometimes christians like to argue over but all genuine christians should be able to look back to the uh 
Apostles Creed, the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed. Those, those are the big three and they should be able to look at those, read those and say yes and amen. And if you can say, read those and say yes and amen, then we are brothers and sisters in Christ, right? That is, that is core stuff. And the Trinity is, um, declared in all three of those. And so, um, he, so Debray is saying he's pointing to the, these three creeds and saying, look, the church fathers agreed on these. We can agree on those. And, um, you know, these, these men that he named, these Christian heretics that he named, uh, did not agree with those. And so they were outside of, um, uh, outside of orthodoxy and they were expelled by the church as, as heretics. And so, um, and that's, that's it. That finishes up the, uh, the proof text article, article nine, um, proof text for the Trinity. And so, um, next week we'll be getting into, I should hopefully next week, I guess I should say next episode, we'll be getting into, uh, article 10, uh, where we will talking, we will be talking about the eternal deity of Jesus Christ. So we're kind of, uh, in, in, uh, entering into a little bit of Christology, uh, right now, uh, with, uh, with the confession. So, um, that's going to do it for this episode of Full Armor Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining me. And uh, if you'd like to reach out and get a hold of me, you can do so. Full Armor Radio at iCloud.com. Also visit the website fullarmorradio.org. And until next time, God bless you. 